people. Hello and welcome to episode 174 of Blockchain Insider. I'm Maurício Magaldi, Global Strategy Director for Crypto at 11FS, and I'm joined by my co-host, the amazing Kai Sheffield, head of crypto at Visa. How are you doing, Kai? I am fantastic. Busy few weeks, a lot to cover. Let's jump in. Awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. So today's a news show. So let's take a look at our stories. UK minister proposes measures to regulate crypto ads and ban unauthorized providers. Then we're going to cover Reddit that now has more NFT wallets than the OpenSea marketplace. And Blockchain.com Visa card powered by Marketa debuts with 50,000 signups at launch. Jeez, that's a big number. To dig into this, we're joined by fantastic guests making a debut on the show. Hanan Noor, Program Manager at Outlier Ventures. How are you doing today, Hanan? Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Excited to be here. <laughs> awesome. And another Blockchain Insider debut with Celine Sunte, CEO and co-founder at Polaris. How are you doing today, Celine? Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Mauricio and Kai. Lovely to have you. So before we dive in, just as a reminder to the listeners, the views or opinions of our panel are their own and don't necessarily reflect those of the companies that they are representing. And as always, nothing we say should be taken as tax, financial or legal advice. So do your own research. So let's get started. First story of the day, UK minister proposes measures to regulate crypto ads and ban unauthorized providers. So the UK government has introduced some measures to regulate crypto ads, banning unauthorized crypto providers from offering services. These amendments uh, introduced by the Financial Services and City Minister Andrew Griffith to his own bill have been welcomed by an industry that has called for proposals to extend beyond stable coins. Under the UK laws dating back to 2000, it's prohibited to carry out regulated financial advices without permission. So this is very controversial. We've seen celebrities all over the world pumping and dumping their crypto, shilling their favorite token, etc. And this has exposed the industry to obviously more scams, to a bad rep, if you will. So this is not a staple or a hallmark regulation, but it's a necessary step into, I want to say, adulthood of the industry, right? So I'm going to start with you, Hanan. How do you see this coming? Is this a step uh, towards the right direction in creating a more sustainable industry for everyone involved? I would answer that with a caveat that it depends. So when we look at like, this regulation, what it essentially means is that crypto assets are subjected to the same financial regulation in the UK as any other financial products. So yes, it does bring clarity in some areas. It bring, brings clarity in terms on what you can and cannot say, what you can and cannot promote. Uh, it advances consumer protection in some areas. It brings uniformity to the industry's advertisement standards. However, there is no clarity in terms of the categorization of those qualifying crypto assets. It's a white blanket definition that has been applied here by, by the government, by the authorities. So when we're thinking about it from a consumer education perspective, consumer adoption perspective, um, what it does, it, it signals that all crypto assets fall under the same high risk categories. So, for example, the regulation is throwing utility tokens in the same bucket as high risk you know, security token 
or secure high-risk investments when that is not necessarily the case um, all the time. So it would be good for us in the industry to get some clarity on where and how um, different tokens, utility or otherwise, um, would fall under this regulation. So the impact here, I think, from a user adoption perspective is it's a bit problematic uh, because when in reality these tokens are used to incentivize adoption uh, in different use cases, you know, how they uh, interact with networks, how they interact with protocols, using that to buy and participating in the, in the industry. Yeah, so I think the most glorifying gap here is in the definition and the blanket statement that they've um, proposed. And that provides some clarity in certain areas, but not in all areas. But in a sense, I hear you. And I think we're seeing progressively new regulation being discussed. And little by little, especially in the UK and other major jurisdictions, we're seeing a lot of debate plus progress. And I, I hear that there might be some spaces still to be resolved, but step by step, we're reaching out there. So Celine, in, 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 your, in your analysis, what else is missing? Is, is this something that we can expedite? No, I, I, I don't think that this is something we could uh, expedite. I think that today we have to keep in mind why this bill has been taken. There is a whole context of Brexit, um, and you know, like regulation has to be uh, in the in in the hands of the the UK regulators. So th there is this sense that we need to keep in mind. So having that in mind and looking at what is happening in Europe with Mika, uh, we were talking about scope uh, with Hanan about the scope of what is a digital asset. I think that Mika defines it very well today. What is a crypto asset? Although they have uh, a last you know a last uh, category where you could actually put every kind of digital assets that might um, be a, a problem, but still they have started with that. I think today the bill, from what we've seen, uh, is excluding, but as does Mika do a bit, uh, a few digital assets by essence, which is a problem. So um, thinking here, and, and probably I'm biased, but thinking here about NFTs, only that. If you look at NFTs, they can have impact and on, on, on the financial industry for sure, but also on consumers. You have to protect them also regarding uh, those kind of instruments and they are still not uh, included in those regulations. So scope, definitely. Um, a little caveat on that uh, is a lot of, uh, so France, I think, has pushed uh, for Mika to integrate, for example, NFT. So they are still conscious of it. Here in the UK, it's um, the members of the Digital and Strategy and Culture uh, Committee, I think, that has pushed uh, to include NFT. So yeah, again, the scope um, needs to be defined. And I think that we, we, we can inspire a bit, but not totally, from the Huawei uh, test rule from the US, where you just look at the underlying and you look at the impact it has. And if we go that way, we I think we start with a good basis. Kai, usually we discuss here, same products, same rules. That's not exactly what's happening with crypto. What's your take on it? I guess first, it's it's interesting to just think how, like, the advertising of crypto has evolved over time and all these things that happened in the bull market that really got out of hand in many ways are just now starting to come out. And we saw in the US with the Gary Gensler you know, video that he put together about influencers and, and Kim Kardashian, Ethereum Max. And, and I think that there's it's important that consumers you know, one know that 
<laughs> when when someone is is advertising that if they're being compensated for it, but it, like both Celine and Hanan have said it, some of these things don't answer some of the important questions around clarifying where assets sit. And so you can continue to make you know bills and policies based upon crypto as an industry, but the more diverse that crypto asset use cases get, the harder it is to lump all of crypto together. And so I think that's really the most challenging part is you know now having to to understand you know one project that is more of a utility or an NFT versus another that's more of a security, you know, complying with the same rules can be a challenge for the industry. But it does seem like the UK and, and curious you're 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 in, in London has very much made it a priority you know, to advance, you know, legislation and and there's a a real appetite for the UK to be a leader in this space and be on the forefront. And so uh, do you feel like this is a, a step towards them them doing that? I think what's happening and, and since uh, I've I've joined Eleven FS, uh, we saw the UK positioning itself as a hub for crypto to some extent. So there's been multiple uh, members of parliament and ministers in various instances repeating that phrase. And at times I feel that the actions such as regulations like this actually uh, speak to that. But, you know, just to, to echo uh, Celine and Hanan, yeah, these are still incomplete. So how do you actually position yourself as a hub for crypto if you don't understand or communicate the underlying implications of every piece of regulation you're putting forward? Uh, we're probably going to tackle this at a later show, but we're seeing the new uh, stablecoin regulation that's being uh, processed through the whole parliament uh, legislature uh, process right now. Uh, again, it's partial to stablecoins. When are we going to see a more extensive and, and profound definition or taxonomy of what cryptos are or what tokens are like? Uh, there's a, a different dynamic to what crypto allows uh, companies to do and users to do than regular money. And, and that needs to be taken into account if the UK uh, is going to become uh, the crypto hub it wants to become. We're seeing a lot of evolution in the Middle East. Dubai is clearly one of the leaders in fostering innovation by adopting progressive regulation. The US is still scrambling with a bunch of reports that came out of that executive order uh, from March. So I feel, in a sense, uh, there is some progress, although not as orchestrated or not as quick as we would hope to uh, develop an industry. Still, the footprint of the UK is that 80% uh, of the trade finance uh, contracts in the world use UK law. And that is a remarkable number, right? Trade finance is one of the oldest <laughs> financing um, uh, instruments in the world, and we're still using UK law across the world. And I would assume that the UK wants to continue that tradition with crypto, but it's gonna to have to move just so much faster. So I'm gonna wrap it up and we're gonna to move to the next one. Kai, I'm gonna hand it over to you. Uh, let's comment on the Reddit. Yeah, so the, I feel like this is one of the biggest stories over the past few weeks of, you know, since their launch in July, um, more than 2.9 million collectible avatars have been minted you know, on Reddit. And they say about 3 million wallets have now been created, which they call the Reddit, you know, vault. And this seems to be one of the biggest success stories of NFTs going mainstream with a web two platform. And, and it was kind of under the radar that I feel like there was an announcement, like when it launched in July, a lot of crypto and NFT Twitter, you know, wasn't really following it. 
And then, you know, after they said, oh, we've brought 3 million customers in, it was a big deal. So Celine, let me start with you of like, what does this mean for the NFT space? And what specifically did Reddit do that you think made this a successful implementation so far? First of all, I think that it's a very good use case for the for the industry. What they have been able to do it's in terms of adoption and accelerating adoption among digital assets, it's quite amazing. So I think that the, the, the strategy they have taken is, is quite um, interesting in the sense that they have tapped in into the existing uh, digitally abled community to actually convert them, which is a very different way of what we have seen before, right? Most of platform we have seen before were like very much crypto native focused. If you ask many of my friends if they can create a wallet, even on OpenSea or, or, or if I create a wallet on on uh, on any exchange, they are not able because you know, like it's the, the onboarding of those users are not that easy. I think that because they have tapped in into uh, the existing community, this is the first win. The second one is that they have a major community based on uh, creators and artists profile. If you tap on those kind of things first, it's also a good one because you enable first creators and artists to make revenue in a way that they have never been able to do it. I think that we have enough reports on, on the market that have popped up to show us those numbers. And second, it has enabled the possibility for those NFTs holder to actually own the IP of those, which, which is quite revolutionary. And I think that a lot of those user and NFT holders are happy to have uh, you know, the opportunity to, to be able to do marketing around it or, or to commercialize it. Um, another thing that, that I think that helped also in the process is the gamifying part. So they had already this kind of avatar builder uh, that they were using for, you know, for the community to, to use for the PFP. But it wasn't called PFP or NFT or wasn't using blockchain anymore. <laughs> but there they just tapped into an existing product and again, improved it. So everything they've built actually were from existing Web2 enabled um, infrastructure that they just changed uh, in, into a web tree, and it it worked fantastically. It's pretty amazing. Hanan, I would love to hear your your thoughts, particularly on abstracting NFTs away, where you know they didn't even call them NFTs. You know, they they just called them collectibles, right? They just had uh, a called it a vault instead of a wallet. Like, do you think that this is going to catch on, and we'll see more Web two and traditional companies? you know, follow this this Reddit playbook? Or is it because Reddit is kind of out there and it's a little weird, it's got its own community that it was successful there, but might be harder to, to translate elsewhere? First of all, I think this will go down uh, in history books of Web3 as one of the best use cases in um, mainstream user adoption. In one of our theses, actually, when looking at investing in Web3 projects, we're looking at like projects that can apply use account abstracting use cases for mainstream web tree and linking it back to um, reddit i think there are three key success factors here number one is the simplicity of it all because it's blockchain obfuscation right they avoid using nft terminology or any crypto terminology um, it use more traditional terms and like it's very favorable because the the price points are um, uh, affordable uh, what Celine said it's attracting those that are already digitally native and then it's the personalization aspect of it as well it's a personalization on a very large scale um, normally nfts are randomly generated from a pool of features 
uh, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here. But Reddit has taken a completely different approach. Each avatar is semi-fungible. You can use the features on the entire NFT to personalize your avatar. Um, so it it gets to the users in, in aspects that they're familiar with. Um, so I think from a from a adoption perspective, this generates new creative use cases when interacting with um, normies beyond Web3. Yeah, Marisa, is this moving from like digital luxury goods and initial PFP projects we've seen that the floor prices have been in the thousands of dollars here? What was it? Yeah, ten dollars or, or something that you could you could get a Reddit you know avatar, and there were cons I thought there was there's this great thread of. There was someone who got one and didn't even realize how valuable it was later on. And someone had to tell them like, oh, you're you're flexing that expensive PFP. He's like, I paid $10 for it. And so was it because they started at, at such a lower price point? Like, wh why do you think this was so successful? I think, you know, we, we saw a couple of things in this particular case that are uh, probably going to, I mean, they're they changing the playbook, right? What, what, we, what we saw before was, uh, you know, high valuation, whitelisting, a lot of buzz, crypto native terminology, roadmaps, ahoy, you know, all of these things that uh, were creating FOMO, the fear of missing out on a particular new collection of NFTs. And within the bubble, that was, you know, the crypto bubble, that was all there was. That was the playbook of um, the board apes, uh, other side, and uh, the, the the owls, and all of the other you know famous Azuki, uh, all the other collections were hyping up on that ten thousand scarce uh, collectibles. What I think Reddit was very uh, smart in doing is what uh, words matter. So they removed the words that were tainted by crypto. So if you're in Reddit and you like your avatar and you hate crypto. You know what? Now you're in crypto. Whether you want it or not, you have a PFP that is an F NFT that is a collectible, but it really doesn't matter because what we're giving you is ownership over your avatar and it doesn't matter how it works. It really doesn't because now you have it. The second thing is they tapped into uh, the same UX pretty much. They didn't change the UX in Reddit. You, you, you were not forced in doing any of these things. And third, as you said, the price point, right? Between uh, 10 and $100, you could, you know, snatch an avatar from, you know, on the minting, on the launch. Uh, and that made a lot of sense for a number of people that are heavy Reddit users. And the beauty of it is that the technology didn't matter, right? And, and we, we, we talk, we, we've spoken about this, uh, early, uh, you know, in other instances in the show is once the technology works, it disappears in the background. And that is probably the first real-world example of the technology not mattering for a success of a launch. And although we know that this is a Polygon NFT and that Polygon has a killer business development team that are doing rounds around the rest of the competition uh, with you know a number of annou recent announcements that are remarkably important for the industry, but not even that. Reddit never said to the users, hey, just you now own an NFT on the Polygon layer 2 blockchain from the Ethereum ecosystem. That doesn't matter. Not, none of this matters. Because what matters is now there is a community of people engaged in interacting online, uh, flexing their avatars and discussing around how cool that thing is. And it really doesn't matter where this thing's sitting because now they understand 
that the only thing that matters is the digital ownership of a digital collectible. Celine, what do you think this means for wallet adoption? Because on one hand, it's great that you abstract everything away. On the other hand, you could kind of read it as almost like a closed loop experience where someone sets up their Reddit vault, they hold their Reddit avatar, but that's it. Where you know, part of the beauty and magic of Web3 and the promise of it is you have this one wallet that you can take with you across to many different applications. And so do you think that this will translate of will Reddit vaults ultimately hold other NFTs that people have? Will they bring their Reddit avatar elsewhere and get other benefits from it? Or will we see a world where consumers have eight different wallets or eight different vaults and they just have the NFT from the individual platform that gave it to them where it's more closed loop and they're not interacting with each other? So to be honest, but it's very uh, personally, I don't think that going into several wallets per individual will work long term. Why? Because I, I just think that it's not sustainable for any individual that has to handle so many wallets. So I think that people are looking and the whole mission of having a wallet into Web3, giving ownership, giving an identity back is about having one wallet to connect everywhere. Right. So having a multi wallet kind of situation is probably not the way to go. The thing is, though, that we need to start somewhere and we need adoption somewhere. So again, if you need to create a wallet with the existing wallets, they, they, there are almost no wallets that have a Web2 experience that we know. Like, yes, there are some of them, but they are very low compared to the rest of the wallet that are existing today. And I think that the Vault wallet, it's a good way uh, of Reddit to actually... Um, I don't like to use that word, but it's still that to actually educate the, the the individual and the user on what is a wallet, how you can use a wallet. That is the first step. So they explain it. And then after after it, I'm sure they will push it to make it more maybe interoperable and, you know, more usable in any kind of platform. But it's a good step. I think it's a, we, we cannot push it, um, you know, too much already. I think it's also uh, in smart from them not to invest <laughs> already in a in a multi kind of wallet uh, before testing if the community is following. So it's a first step and it's a good one. I also think that it's tapping into the right um, community and the right use cases, right? If you look at people who actually use Reddit, it's, you know, the fifth most visited website in the US. These are like naturally um, intellectually curious individuals venturing into these communities in Reddit in the first place. And when they um, venture into that, and then suddenly this unexpected journey became super successful, they went through this journey, or oh, now I have to, um, I can sell my NFT on OpenSea, therefore I can start creating a wallet, therefore I can actually create profit. So naturally the, the path of curiosity of like this digitally native, uh, inherently curious people and the right community that they target in the first place just blossom. So it's the right use cases, the right community. It's a, a mixture of very exact ingredients that makes this such an interesting use case. Will be interesting to see how this, this plays out. Yeah, let's hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visa, one of the world's leaders in digital payments. Crypto has opened up a new world of possibility, and Visa is helping everyone take part. Visa enables commerce across their network and crypto networks through solutions like FinTech FastTrack, a quick and easy way for crypto innovators to issue payment credentials. Join us in this new money movement. Learn more at visa.com forward slash crypto.
Here at 11FS, we believe in explaining FS without the BS. That's why we created our 11FS Explore series, weekly videos that break down a complicated financial services topic into something everyone can get their head around, such as... On-ramping. Buy now, pay later. The cost of living. ESG. Stable points. Telematics insurance. And inclusive design. Search 11FS Explores on YouTube now. And welcome back. For the second half of the show, we're going to start off with the news about Blockchain.com launching a Visa card powered by Marketa, debuting with 50,000 signups at launch. So they announced this highly anticipated uh, Visa card, and it's going to be initially available to U.S. residents, uh, and users will be able to spend their crypto or cash within their blockchain.com wallet without fees and earn 1% back in crypto anywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. For some particular reason, I feel this is pretty much to go with you, Kai, to start with, right? So let's 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 get to it. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this, uh, this news? Uh, super exciting. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, really, really excited to work with blockchain.com. I mean, they're one of the, the oldest and most trusted you know, platforms you know, in the space. And you know, they've played such a big role in, in growing overall crypto adoption. And I think as, as we started to work with them, they, they realized that you know, there is this, this unlock, you know, if you can add more utility to assets that consumers have in their wallets. And there's just not a lot of adoption of acceptance directly of crypto. And so we believe that the, the best way and the easiest way to spend crypto or spend a stablecoin is on you know, Visa's network today. And so we've been very focused on this for a few years to give a path and make it as easy as possible for the leading crypto wallets and exchanges to be able to bring to market their, their own products. And, and then we're seeing them come up with some really interesting value propositions. And so you know, getting 1% uh, crypto back you know, on every purchase you know, we're seeing more demand for crypto rewards and you know, in, in a bear market, it's, it's, it's a good way that you can stack sats and, and accumulate in dollar cost average over time, you know, when you spend. And so to me, the, the holy grail in the question is really like, how do crypto wallets, you know, start to look more like, you know, just a, a next generation of a neobank. And, you know, instead of consumers just holding value, they have to be able to, to spend it as well. And so having debit or prepaid options, uh, we're seeing more interest in in credit products, both crypto collateralized and, and unsecured. And so I think we're we're really heading in a direction that, you know, in the coming you know, 12 to 18 months, there will be you know trusted brands in crypto that offer you the ability to receive a paycheck, you know, that could get paid out in a stablecoin where you could pay your bills, you know, where you can have a debit card, where you can have a credit card. And so we're just seeing these lines between fintech and crypto continuing to blur and you know, we're excited to get to work with with some of the market leaders, you know, like blockchain.com to, to build these products out. I'm, I'm going to go out on a tangent here, but still around the same topic. I'm going to reach out to you, Hanan, on this. Uh, one point that Kai uh, mentioned, and I think it's pretty much what is going to uh, mark the next generation of solutions being adopted is this sort of use stuff you know with an infrastructure you don't and you don't really care. Are there any other examples of uh, UX that you're seeing in the industries that you cover that are reflective of that type of you know new behavior we're going to see going forward? 
Hmm, I have to think about that because in terms of like mainstream web tree adoption so far, the use cases aren't as innovative or as interesting as I would love, uh, I would like it to be. But um, looking at um, use cases in countries outside of the US, so the blockchain.com's X visa um, project is specifically targeting, you know, the 50,000 people in the waitlist in the US. But if you look at it, the, the recent chain analysis um, published a, a report on mainstream crypto adoption. And the biggest market in which uh, crypto adoption happens and occurs is actually in Southeast Asia and Latin America. And two uh, specific use cases in which these um, crypto is being used is actually remittances and um, savings because of like declining currency and like capital um, regulations therefore they use um, crypto as an alternative to store their assets and then rap intenses because um, sending money from western countries back to their home countries in southeast asia or latin america is just easier to um, do so through cryptocurrencies and um, stable coins Personally, I think this is one of the pain points in my personal life in which if I receive my salary in USDC, I have to go through, um, you know, different pathways and processes in order to get that into fiat. And the on-ramp and off-ramp processes for um, a person that works in Web3 is very, very intricate, what else an, uh, a normal person. So as an industry collectively, we have to think through ways in which we can make this simpler. And I think this is a step in the right direction. I know that we're beginning it in like one particular geography, but expanding it further um, is, is necessary because I know there's a lot of demand um, that people want coming out of this. I don't want to put you on the spot here, Kai, but to that extent, uh, what is the global expansion roadmap, if you can share, obviously? Yeah, so I can't speak to specifically blockchain.com, but I think we recognize that you know, there is a huge opportunity outside the United States. And even for those use cases like remittances, you have to have an off-ramp uh, where someone can actually you know, take the dollars or the USDC they received and be able to spend it. Uh, and so that's something that we're we're very focused on. And you know, between LAC, you know, Africa, and, and Asia Pacific, um, we think that while the crypto linked card programs have started in the U.S. and you know a big reason being that's where a lot of the most mature fintech uh, infrastructure is to help them issue. And so companies like Marketa and and the banking as a service ecosystem that exists, um, but it's really going to be building on the products that were launched in the US and getting you know more mature infrastructure in these emerging markets that can support you know similar products there and so um you know we've got a, a number of markets that are, are are key focuses for us and i think it's just when you combine stable coins and existing rails together there are a lot of things that that you can do that it's going to be hard for stable coins to build out you know a full acceptance ecosystem and get every merchant across the world to accept them but if you have every merchant that accepts Visa and you can receive a stablecoin cross-border, the connection between the two is where we think a lot of the value will be. Celine, you were going to say something and just jumped ahead of you. What was that? Mostly what we have seen with, with even neobanks. If you look at it, they mostly started with remittance and then going into payment and then going into lending, investment and becoming a neobank. So I think indeed, if the entry, we are looking at it as being remittance, there is definitely a right to play for crypto uh, companies to become uh, neo banks, but with crypto. No, I like that. I, I like the whole journey about 
learning by delivering great value with the product that solves real world problems and then expanding on uh, adjacencies uh, of use cases where you can actually add value to a particular population. It's and I think it's super powerful. And in emerging markets, as uh, Hanan and Kai were saying, I mean, we've, you know, I, I have a particular view uh, on Latin America, obviously, but I think what crypto is doing, and, and at times I hear people say, oh, crypto doesn't have a, a killer app. I mean, yes, it does. It's peer-to-peer -peer <laughs> money transfer. That's, that's the exact killer app it's been designed and, and it's been greatly adopted as the chain analysis report uh, showed it. Uh, Hannah mentioned it's a great report, by the way. All right, so um, Kai, any particular aspects? I mean, uh, in terms of the, 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 the team that's been involved in terms of uh, what is the role of Marketa, for instance, in, in the whole construct? Yeah, so Marketa is the, the program manager uh, that is kind of bringing the partners together and powering the card on behalf of blockchain.com. And so we've seen Marketa really, um, you know, step up and, and work with a number of, of crypto, you know, platforms in the space. And, and I think it's, it's a recognition that like there isn't, there just isn't this line between fintech and crypto. You see the large fintech companies are integrating, you know, crypto into their core offerings, you know, like Cash App and Revolut. And then a lot of the long tail, you know, we have something called the fintech fast track program, uh, which we have, you know, early stage startups apply directly with Visa. And we've seen that, you know, at least for the past year, it's been close to a third of the companies that come through are touching crypto in, in some way. And so I think that there will be this, you know, developer ecosystem uh, where, you know, people are building new financial products and new payment products that incorporate stable coins either on the back end and, you know, it might be abstracted away or it's, you know, they're incorporating crypto trading uh, to some capacity. And so we're really excited to have partners like Marketa that can, enable it and be this one-stop shop that makes it super easy to issue a card. Now the challenge is how do you have those same type of enablers, you know, that are in emerging markets and all over the world that can give that experience of being able to, to roll out cards quickly, you know, with these card, uh, with these, these large crypto platforms. Love it. Yeah. So I, I interestingly enough, I put out a, an unfiltered article last week exactly about this. And if you haven't read it, just go to content page on the 11FS site and take a look. But yeah, we're, we're, we need to, we have to take advantage that it, this is a bear market and actually build real world solutions using the crypto rails, which will then give you a lot more efficiencies as things move along. Okay, so we're gonna wrap up this one. I'm gonna jump into our honorable mentions today. So Kai, I'm gonna hand it over to you. Sure, so we're just gonna round up on some of the other stories uh, from the month that deserve a shout out. And uh, so there was a report that crypto exchange FTX is working on creating a stablecoin. Uh, and so uh, Sam Bankman-Fried said it's very likely FTX will create one, uh, but to clarify, they're still you know, figuring it out. They might, they might not. Uh, and so I, I think that you know, the success and growth of USDC, particularly in an environment of rising interest rates, uh, you have other exchanges you know, like Binance you know, with BUSD, you know, really looking to see can they convert some of the volume you know of USDC over to their stablecoin so that they can earn some of the interest rates, and you know will that continue to become a trend where any large exchange that's holding stablecoin deposits will look to hold or at least issue their own that they can then you know earn some upside on on the reserves. And so I think there are going to be some really interesting ways that the stablecoin ecosystem evolves you know, over the next twelve to twenty four months. 
I am still a stable coin out CBDC person, so I, I, I want to be proven wrong. Um, next up is Ramp closes 70 million Series B fundraise led by Mubadala Capital and Corelia Capital. So Ramp, uh, which is a fintech company that builds payment rails connecting crypto to the global traditional financial system, closed its 70 million Series B funding, co-led by Mubadala Capital and Corelia Capital, which brings the total raise by Ramp to over $120 million over the past year. Ramp plans to use its Series B funding to invest further into its product line, add local fiat currencies and payment methods, expand into new territories, and continue to hire the best talent in the market. During 2022, volumes generated have increased by almost 240% compared to the same period last year. Meanwhile, the total number of unique users coming from integration partners has increased over 600%. So this is no, this is no chance, right? This is a fintech established company that is actually working in bridging crypto to traditional finance, pushing for uh, further adoption. And the money comes in the middle of the bear market, which is great for them as a company, gives them more runway to actually build more stuff, but more importantly, gives them the fuel needed to expand and bring crypto to more people, which is Ramp's, pretty much Ramp's mission. So I'm glad to see that despite the great downturn in investment in the crypto market in general, uh, especially coming in uh, from uh, a recent macro recession uh, forecast, we're seeing the companies that are actually solving real world problems, getting funding uh, to actually push adoption forward, which is always great. Right. So for this last segment today on today's show, we're going to bring uh, the panel back in and I want to take a look at uh, what news and headlines have been grabbing your attention this month. I'm going to start with you, uh, Hanan. Uh, could you share something new that you're really excited about in our industry? I can share two themes that I'm excited about uh, in the industry. One is mainstream Web3, which is everything that we've covered today. So anything that use account abstraction for, you know, to scale self-custody and better UX, better wallets, anything that's built on, on top of the social protocols, um, anything that's altering front ends to enhance compliance without actually touching upon um, the protocol layer because we believe in a censorship resistance future. I'm excited about that. And the second theme that I'm excited about actually is um, Web3 infrastructure. So if you think about Web3 as, as a concept, uh, it has to be built upon like strong fundamentals um, and then the apps will come after. So anything that focuses on layer one scaling, you know, through optimistic or ZK rollups, obsessed with that. Anything that, you know, advances, uh, again, the ethos of censorship resistance, as well as anything that circumvents predatory MEV or redistribute its value equitably. I'm excited about that. Love it. Celine, how about you? Yeah, I would say that I'm also pretty much uh, excited on how Web2 uh, companies are approaching Web3 now. So uh, just five days ago, I think Instagram has uh, said that they will launch, a, they would have the NFT marketplace that is uh, becoming live. So we talked about Reddit earlier. I think 
Instagram coming into the place is going to be huge too. So it's pretty exciting. I'm excited also by the fact that people uh, start to look at NFTs, particularly not only as um, uh, um, yeah, a collectible kind of thing, but also a utility-based one. Uh, there have been so many discussion around it. I think that if we need also to bring mass adoption around it, it's about giving to people real life and tangible uh, rewards in what they do. And I think that the market is completely following this trend. So it's it's pretty nice. Kai, how about you? Yeah, I, I share a, a lot of that sense of it. I, I was just thinking the other day of like, if you would have told me two years ago that Instagram natively makes NFTs available in a multi-chain way, uh, when you create them, storing content on, on our weave, like that would be nuts. It'd be like, that's like the ultimate like moment. And they, <laughs> they did it. And now everyone's just kind of like, oh, okay. There's so much more that they can do, but just their willingness to take that step forward, I think is a, a really strong signal. And then I think the other category being NFT based loyalty programs for merchants, uh, what Starbucks is doing. And we're seeing more and more merchants, you know, coming to us saying like, is, is there a way we can use this technology to create a, a next-gen loyalty program uh, that's that's different than you know, some of the programs of the past? And, and I think ways that brands can collaborate together and provide benefits for each other that is easier to execute you know, via an NFT versus you know, doing direct integrations into each other's databases. Um, and so I think that there's gonna be a lot built over the next you know, 12 to 24 months that will make major brands, merchants, and, and Web2 platforms you know, driving NFT adoption even without people realizing. Yeah, I like that. Bear market is indeed uh, build season. Um, I am really excited about some of the facilitation that's happening in the developer experience space. Uh, we spoke about low-code and no-code the other day uh, here in the show. Um, there's a lot of new tooling coming out in that regard. But one thing that really hit me this week was uh, Nested Finance uh, High VM. It's a hybrid virtual machine that uh, helps you process uh, on chain any dynamic written contract. So it's a contract embedded in a contract that's tied to an NFT. Very weird concept. But, you know, Rudy and the team there are doing crazy things that really work and really facilitate both for investors and now for developers as well. So uh, pretty remarkable advancement in how we are managing deployment on chain. So kudos to the team there as well. Right. So that wraps up this week's news show. Just a quick reminder to let you know that the views of our panel are their own and not necessarily the opinions of the companies that they're representing. Thank you so much to all of our guests. And where can people find out more about you, Hanan? You can find me on Twitter at Hananis or just email us at outlieradventures.io. Great. Celine? You can find me on LinkedIn uh, under Celine Suntai and the same for Twitter. Great. Kai? On Twitter at Kai Sheffield and visa.com slash crypto. And as for me, you can find me at Zurax Mauricio on Twitter, Mauricio Magaldi on LinkedIn, and 11fs.com. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you really love it, please leave us a review. It helps us make it better and helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11fs or Blockchain Insider or email us at podcasts at 11fs.com. This is all for today. Stay rare, stay weird. LFG.